what is the most memorable bumper sticker uh, that you have ever seen? Can you remember some of your favorites? Uh, I like one where there's a dinosaur eating the family and it says uh, your stick figure uh, family was delicious. <laughs> I really like that one. There's another one that's uh, an ode to big guys like me. Uh, it's a picture of a bear chasing a bunch of people. And there's a bigger guy at the end of the pack, and it says, uh, be nice to fat guys. They might save your life someday. <laughs> That's uh, uh, precious to my heart. <laughs> uh, of course, there are the uh, political ones, which uh, you know are super helpful for changing people's minds. I mean, if you're trying to uh, win an argument, bumper sticker. That's the way to go, right? <laughs> but there's uh, one I often see that's a religious one. And it kind of gets under my skin a little bit. We're going to talk about this because uh, it says Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And, you know, it's not that I don't hope that Jesus is coming soon, uh, but I wonder how helpful that really is on a bumper sticker. I mean, what does that explain to people? What does that tell people? But it, it isn't just that... It's not helpful in explaining things. More importantly, it makes me wonder if this is really the best way to think about things. This, uh, this demonstrates a way of thinking that is very prevalent in America. It kind of goes like this, okay? People are bad. Uh, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And some of us are getting a uh, straight ticket to heaven because we prayed a prayer to Jesus, and the rest are going to have suffering and torment and torture for the rest of eternity. Uh, and uh, so, because the world's going into uh, going to hell in a handbasket, uh, we should just uh, lit it. Uh, it's fate. It's the way things are going to go. It's prophecy. And so, there's nothing we can do about it. And this way of reading scripture and thinking itself is a problem, but there's one really big problem I see in this way of thinking, uh, and that plays out in our daily lives. You see, if the world is going to hell in a handbasket, then why do anything about it? Why bother trying to make the world a better place? At that point, what we really should do is just take care of our own and let everybody uh, go where they may go, let the chips fall where they may, right? Yes, I'm the kind of person that got all of that out of a bumper sticker that says Jesus is coming soon. I know, it's sick. I'm, there's something wrong with me, I think. <laughs> but we're going to come back to this in a second. I promise that it ties into what we're talking about today. Because this, uh, this reminded me of a story. I call it the story of Shmuel. No, I don't. No, that's a last five years reference. If you don't know that musical, I'm sorry. Norbert Leo Butts did an amazing job singing the original cast album. And yes, I like show tunes. I like Broadway musicals and even off-Broadway musicals sometimes. But no, it's not the story of Shmuel. This is the story of the feeding of thousands. And you're probably very familiar with it because it's in all four of the Gospels. And there's actually two versions of it told in Mark, and two versions of it told, I think, in Matthew as well. So the story is told six times. It could be different events or the same event, but it's told six times in four 
Gospels. Those are kind of uh, biographical accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all four of them talk about this. And it's very rare. There's only a small handful of things that all four Gospels mention. And one of them is when Jesus feeds thousands and thousands of people with very few resources. It's considered a miracle. Now, my favorite version of this story is in the Gospel of John. John is the latest uh, gospel that was written. And I love it just, I don't know, there's a kind of flavor to it, and there's a particular detail that I really love in the story of John. You know, every story writer uh, tells this story in a slightly different way and emphasizes different details. And John just has a couple of details that speak to me personally. I might just be a fan of John, who knows? But anyway, John tells this story where Jesus has stopped to take a rest after a really trying time, a lot of debate, a lot of things going on in his life. In one of the accounts, he had just found out that his cousin, John the Baptizer, had been killed, and so he may have been um, sad. He may have been in mourning. He stopped to take a rest on the side of a hill or a mountain, as the story goes. And as he did, he saw people, throngs of people, coming toward him. Thousands of people starting to come his way because they'd heard that he'd again landed in their area. He crossed back and forth across the Sea of Galilee over and over again. And now he was in their area and thousands of people came flocking to him. Now, it's interesting what Jesus' first thought was. It wasn't, I'm really tired and I don't have time for this. Uh, It wasn't that I'm in mourning, I'm very sad and depressed today and I'm not going to do any work. It was the immediate reaction of hospitality. Which is so strange because Jesus, as far as we can tell, didn't have a physical home. So it wasn't as if these people were coming into his home and he was going to practice hospitality the way we saw last week with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, where they invite Jesus into their home and and make a meal and share it with him. But that's still Jesus' immediate reaction. Even though they're not coming into his home, apparently his home is wherever he and his brothers and sisters are. Wherever he and his followers are, that is home to him. And so his first reaction is not to lick his wounds or feel sorry for himself or be tired, but to find a way to be hospitable to thousands of people that are pouring in towards him. So he asked Philip a question. One of his friends and followers, Philip, he says, "Uh, how are we going to feed all these people? And Philip says, it's going to take six months of wages to be able to feed all of these people. It's just not possible, Jesus. And it's a Sunday, so Chick-fil-A is not open. I don't know what we're going to do, right? And so Philip's trying to figure this out. And then Peter, Simon Peter, Jesus' uh, kind of right-hand person, the person who's always kind of leading next to him, Peter sees a little boy. This is one of those details that John mentions specifically. A little boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. And Peter mentions this, but he mentions it sarcastically. Like, oh, well, we have this little boy over here who's got five loaves and two fish. That'll really help, right? Peter being Peter, being sarcastic. We're told another version of this story that at this point, after Jesus gives thanks to God, For the bread, he asks his followers to actually distribute the bread. He asks his followers to hand out uh, the bread. And somehow, miraculously, everyone is fed and everyone has more than enough, more than what they need in this miracle called the feeding of the thousands. Now, sometimes you'll hear this referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. We're told in one of the accounts that that's 5,000 men. 
And so they weren't counting women and children, the elderly, widows, things like that. So it could be 20,000 people. We really just don't know. But we know it was thousands upon thousands. And so all of these people had flocked, were hungry, and were fed in what is considered this miracle. Now, remember the old bumper stickers that we were talking about, right? Remember the one that said, Jesus is coming soon. And the way of thinking that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, so we should just sit back and, and try to help as many people believe in Jesus as we can. And I have to tell you, that kind of thinking, here we go, that kind of thinking is lazy thinking. It's lazy Christianity, plain and simple. Even if you can make a case for it in Scripture, it is lazy, and it has proven itself to lead to laziness in Christianity. It has just proven itself to be the case. Thinking that way absolves us of responsibility in the world. We can always just blame the world. We can blame evil, and we can say, oh, that's just how things are going to go. The world's going to go to hell. And all we can do is help people to find Jesus and pray the prayer. We are Christians. <laughs> we worship this Jesus who's coming back. And we love God, and supposedly we love others, but we absolve ourselves of the responsibility of this world when we throw up our hands, when we think of kingdom building about simply praying a prayer. It's as if we were sitting with Jesus there on the hill, and we saw all these people coming towards us who were hungry, who were starving, who were broken, and we said, don't worry, we'll pray for you. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? Now, sometimes that's very encouraging. I like prayer. I want people to pray for me. Please pray for me. If you're listening to this, pray for me. I need prayer. But sometimes it can be delivered in kind of a, a backhanded compliment sort of way. We'll pray for you. Meaning I'm not going to do anything else to help you. I'm just going to pray or pretend to pray for you. This has became very common as we've seen gun violence increase over the last 25 years in the United States. You hear a lot about thoughts and prayers, right? And there are people who are saying it's time to do more than just think and pray. It's time to take action. It would be like that. You know, if, if this throng of people were coming hungry to us and we're sitting with Jesus on this hill and we say, well, we'll pray for you and we hope everything works out for you. That's the kind of thinking that is this kind of thinking that the world's going to hell anyway, so let's just lit it, and let's just do our thing and take care of our own. Now, maybe Jesus is coming soon just isn't the right message. Maybe the right message is Jesus is actually here right now. Not that Jesus is coming, but that Jesus is already here amongst us. The Bible calls Jesus' followers the body of Christ. So we are literally uh, the presence of Christ in the world today, the body of Christ. While Jesus' actual body is at the right hand of the Father, somewhere in the mystery called heaven, the body of Christ represented on earth is, well, all of us, the followers of Jesus. And so maybe Jesus is supposed to be already present, not coming soon, but already here working and doing in the world. Instead of thoughts and prayers, instead of sitting back and, and watching the world burn, or even worse, throwing more gasoline on the fire to let the world burn, maybe we're supposed to be Jesus right here, right now, in this world, in this place. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that Jesus is not coming back. 
What I'm saying is he didn't tell us to sit on our hands and wait for him. He gave us a job to do. And this story gives us a good example of how that's the case. You know, in another version of the story, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus actually tells his followers, you give them something to eat, and then they go and do it. And so it's kind of this interesting uh, detail that we don't get in the Gospel of John, that it's actually the followers of Jesus that go and do the miracle. They go and do the miracle. It's as if Jesus says to them, I plan on doing a miracle, but I'm not going to do it alone. You are actually going to do the miracle. You're going to be the hands and feet. You're going to be the body of Christ and go and physically do the miracle. It's as if Jesus in the story is calling all of us to do the miracle. We do the miracle and forgive someone who has deeply wounded us. We do the miracle and feed someone when we might have to skip a meal. We do the miracle and pull our resources together to help immigrants find a home or refugees from violence find a home and a safe place to live and raise their families. We do the miracle and we shut down talk that sounds like racism and we shut down actions that are clearly racist. We do the miracle and love one another in such a way that it makes the world jealous and it makes them want to taste and see what we have. Jesus tells us in this story, you go and give them something to eat. You go and do the miracle. You know, there's a question posed by this story that gets liberal and conservative Christians into argument a little bit. And I think it's unnecessary for them to argue about this. I think they can both be right. But the question posed in this story is this. Did Jesus miraculously turn five loaves and two fish into thousands? Just like I dream of genie or bewitched, twinkle his nose, which I can't do. But did he miraculously immediately transform five loaves and two fish into thousands? Or did Jesus transform the hearts of people into sharing what little they had until everyone had their fill. Maybe some people had a little food here and others there, and they spread it out. When they spread it out, everybody had enough. The truth is the text doesn't really answer this question. It does seem like the text is referring to the first idea, that Jesus miraculously turns five loaves and two fish into thousands. But there's also this hint in there about us doing the work. You go and feed them. And this idea of people passing it amongst themselves, this idea that somehow there was sharing involved. And it seems to me that either way, it's a miracle. And so liberal and conservative Christians, they don't have to argue over this. I mean, it's a miracle for sure to snap your finger and suddenly have thousands of fish, and thousands of loaves of bread. But isn't it just as much a miracle to change the hearts of human beings? to transform us to be more generous than we would normally be. In my mind, that's even more of a miracle. It reminds me of a story where Jesus is teaching and they drop a paralyzed man through the ceiling and they ask for him to be healed. And Jesus starts by saying, your sins are forgiven. And this really hacks off the religious people because they think only God can forgive sins. So clearly Jesus is claiming to be God and that's not okay. And Jesus responds to them and says, you know, is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to ask this paralyzed man to get up and walk? 
So get up, take your mat, and walk. And he does. He walks. Of course, the religious people still don't believe him either way. But that's an important question. Which is the greater miracle? I think what Jesus is saying is it's miraculous, like on its face, to see somebody who's been paralyzed stand up and walk. But that's nothing compared to the miracle of having your sin forgiven by God. And in the same way, it's definitely a miracle to snap your fingers and have a few pieces of fish turn into thousands. But it's an even greater miracle to see people sharing, even when they don't have enough themselves, sharing with one another and doing the miracle of making sure everyone is provided for and taken care of. You know, as we pray and consider what kind of community we want Kaylee community to be, I hope and pray that we remember stories like this. We think about the things we've learned. First, we learn that hospitality can happen anywhere. And even when you think you have nothing to offer, just like Jesus on that hill. And second, we learn that we've already been given the supernatural power to do the miracle, to change the world. It's called love. We have that supernatural love that has come from the one who's gone before us. And it's that kind of love is all we need to move mountains and all we need to feed thousands. We have that love now. The last thing that we learn is that if we remember the one who teaches us, we remember that just like the bread that he multiplied and gave, Jesus also gave his body. He called himself the bread of life. And he gave that body over for us on the cross. And in so doing, he asks us to multiply that body. Just like this bread, these few pieces of bread that Jesus took and gave thanks and multiplied, Jesus asks us to take his body and multiply it miraculously over and over and over again as we grow it into the family of God, the body of Christ. And we do that now and forever until Jesus really does come back. Whether it's soon or not, (laughs) we have work to do in the meantime. It's not enough to sit back and watch the world burn. We are supposed to take the bread of life, the body of Christ, and multiply it over and over. So I hope we'll do the work together. You and me, a Kaylee community, let's do this work together as we work toward our gathering at the end of January, as we continue to work towards gatherings and breaking bread together. Let's remember that as we do that, the miracle is in the relationship that happens. It's in the healing that happens. It's in the forgiveness that happens. It's in the vulnerability that happens together. The healing, the forgiveness, the vulnerability, but it's also in the generosity. It's in the hospitality. And it's in the worship of God together that is so loving that it makes the world look at us jealously and want to taste and see what they're missing. Amen and amen.